0: Today we'll talk more about what it takes to generate and scale trust in the connection economy. We talk about examples of how to generate trust and what you should avoid in this pursuit, Seth Golding's first 10 rule, and how to measure the trust that you generate.
1: This is Digital Bacon FM. It's the perfect introduction to the man who can see the future and all other things, Stephen Barnes. Good morning.
0: Well, very good morning to you, sir. What are we talking about today?
1: Today, we are picking up where you left off last week, Module 5, Chapter 20, Generating
0: Trust. Right. Well, okay. The idea is when um, you're operating a business in the connection economy, more than anything, you have to ensure that the people that you want to have relationships with are going to trust you. Mm. And um, Zig Ziglar, who was kind of like the Dale Carnegie of the 1970s, said, you know, if people like you, they will listen to you. And if they trust you, they will do business with you. Mm. And never true words have been spoken. Moreover, my uh, my one of my intellectual heroes, Seth Golding, um, has denoted trust as being one of the four pillars of the connection economy um, the other three being the exchange of ideas, the idea of uh, permission, and sort of you know coordination and uh, an organisation. Mm. Um, so essentially, if you are going to you know want to succeed in the connection economy, uh, you're going to have to scale trust. So how does one go about scaling trust? Mm. Assuming that you've um, you've acquired the trust, what are the things that you need to do, or rather should, or indeed I should say. Um, avoid doing in order to make sure that you don't undermine trust. So a lot of the, what follows, I guess, will be pretty self-evident to the normal human being, but I guess you and I can um, bat our way through them. So uh, one thing, one thing to scale trust, if you're up, going to operate in the connection economy and operate well in the connection economy, is to ensure that you don't engage in what's known as selfish marketing. Selfish marketing being this idea that whatever you, you sort of efforts you make to bring, you know, your offering to the attention of the world, those communication endeavors uh, are done with with sort of integrity and with intention to deliver value and not, not kind of cheat uh, the other party uh, of their attention. That is, you know, don't engage in sleight of hand trickery. Mm. You know, how many times have you... Um, thought about, you know, wanting to perhaps buy something via the web or indeed it could be off the web. Uh, more often than not, you see this in kind of like car, hand car yards, certainly in Australia and the UK. I don't know what it's like in South Africa. But, mm. um, you know, essentially what's happening is that uh, they, 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 they say one thing and then as soon as they've got you, then a whole lot of other stuff's going on that you didn't bargain for.
1: Well, I tell you, I so, had one recently, actually, not with a car. Yeah. Um, but uh-huh. I'm quite fascinated with this uh, Ancestry and DNA and yada, yada, yada. So, uh, as you yeah. know, I watch I watch the U.S. version of CNN and, and Ancestry.com continually advertise. So, I thought, okay, so the advert says sign up absolutely free and get started today. Yeah. So, I thought, okay, cool. So, then you go through the process, enter your email address, enter your name, enter your uh, password – And that's pretty standard to get you uh, get an account open. An account, yeah. Then they want your credit card details. Yeah, So it's not free. It's free until you've used it for a month, but they want your credit card details up front. Yeah. and, And then I just closed it and I constantly get emails.
0: Well, you know what that tells me, Jason? That tells me that they don't have any confidence in their product. Mm. If they had true confidence in their product, you know, you would be begging to buy it from them after the trial period, right?
1: And I, I no, did that with zero. To- you know, remember you said zero is a great accounting platform and yeah. there was absolutely no bollocks with them. You sign up, it's free, you use it for as long as you're comfortable and then... Uh, I think it may have been three months for free. And then they come along and say, well, are you happy with everything? Is there anything we can change? Is there anything that you'd like to uh, to comment on? Or if you're happy, go ahead.
0: Well, the interesting thing there, Jason, is that zero, in a sense, were enabled to do that. Because if you think about it… Um, they give you access, unlimited access to their complete platform for free for 90 days. Mm -hmm. By the time you've inputted all your data and you've been able to get value out of that during the 90 days, you're not going to, you know, think about going anywhere else. Sure, you can download your data and then be able to import it into another offering, but, Mm. you know, how many normal human beings that are buying an account, online accounting technology are, you know, going to go through all the palaver associated with, you know, having trial accounts with the four or five that exist out there and then comparing and contrast uh, at the end of the exercise to determine which one you want to go with, right? Mm. I mean, ultimately, you can understand what the capabilities of a particular accounting software are, um, you know, within w- within two or three hours, if you're experienced, you know, about these matters mm. um, and, uh, and and get to grips with that. So basically, they had you. Um, assuming that you got a value out of zero, of course, uh, at the day that you signed up for the trial, and so they were smart about it. They yep. knew that you know the the tendency to put the data in and tendency not to shop around once you've got value out of it will be sufficient enough for you to carry on buying, which is exactly what happened with us, in fact. Mm. So you know that's uh, that that's a smart way of uh, actually using the realities of the connection economy. Uh, positively given you know the nature of your proposition and how you you don't have to twist anybody's arms the nature of what you do means that you you know you'll end up doing it if you're happy with it right versus the experience that you had there with uh, the ancestry.com people where it's clear that all they're interested in is seeing you as a revenue point, uh, and that 's it they 're not really interested in uh, you know uh, anything about you after that. Mm. Um, they just want to uh, use all the tried and tested me- mechanisms and dynamics of uh, of, of, of sign up uh, methodologies where you know you get access for free, but the only way you get access is by actually getting the, giving your credit card details and giving them the ability to charge you and then relying on the human you know for your bills not to do anything about that, so that you know they'll be able to get a charge out of you at uh, the end of the trial period and, you know
1: in ge- uh, nonsense right in in general, I don't have a problem as long as they're upfront about it, so I mm. bought one of those four g routers and a sim card from a new company well i don't they're new to me I don't know how long they've been around. It's called rain, it's super fast um and I saw it advertised on Facebook. Gulu had got one for the hotel, so I went onto their website. And they said it's 250 bucks a month, unlimited, but you pay a hefty price from 6 o'clock until 11 o'clock in the evening. You have to sign up. Peak. and Yeah, peak. And um, you can set a limit for what you want to spend during the peak, but they give you seven days unlimited, 24-hour, seven uh, days access which is obviously getting you in the habit of leaving the thing on all bloody days. So you just get used to paying um, Yeah, in the hope that you'll forget after the eighth day. And then, uh, you know, that's, that's, yeah, it's just, it is what it is. Um, yeah. But it was easy to do. And the thing arrived the next business day, no buggering around. Here's your data, get started. And then they sent me a reminder yesterday to say your, uh, seven days is up in uh, three days. Um, just beware that you will be charged uh, fifty bucks a gig from that date, which I thought was very well done. So I've just put a little reminder in my phone to switch off the router at five to six.
0: That's wonderful because they've actually they stood on the side of the customer and they've said, "Okay, what are the customers?" Concerned about here, and they've identified that they're concerned with they don't they basically don't want to be charged for things that they're not going to use or they think that they don't need. Mm. Uh, and rather than rely on their systems design to fall make people fall into the, the you know into the side of the equation where they end up having to pay where they didn't think they wanted to pay. Um, rather, want, what they've done is they've said you know we're so confident in our offering uh, we're not going to hide anything from you. Here's the whole shooting match, and we're going to remind you. So that, you know, you, we, we, you can deem us to be a reliable, you know, business partner to you. Uh, and what they're doing is they're actually trying to earn your trust in that fashion. Absolutely. And they've got it, right?
1: Well, I was just going to say, is that is that the key, the key principle of trust? Well, be, there's be a really honest. good example.
0: Yeah. That, well, yeah, yeah, it's timeless, right? But, but yeah, your your example there is a really good example, actually, of of how you can think about um, uh, generating trust by putting yourself in the shoes of the customer and saying, well, you know, we we're, we're confident in our offering, so we're going to give it to you. And we're going to explain to you, you know, what the downfalls are and where those where those you know, pitfalls, so to speak, uh, present themselves. And, and we're going to remind you about it so that you, you, you know, you don't feel cheated by, by as a result of having dealt dealing with us. Mm. Yeah, a good experience. Which is, we, mm-hmm. a yeah, good experience. great. Well, that, that actually that's a super super segue into sort of the next sort of item for scaling trust, which is on my list, and that's um, basically turn selfishness into generosity. Um, and that's exactly what that business did. Hmm. Uh, they looked at it from the perspective of the customer, and they've said we're going to transact with a customer on the basis that you know we're not hiding anything from the customer. We're being, going to be generous with. Um, uh, you know, our, um, our disposition towards the customer and we're going to let it, we, we want, we want it to be fair to the customer, Wants want it to be seen to be on the customer's terms rather than ours, as far as it's reasonable, you know, to do so within the, the constructs of the commercial exchange going on. Yeah. Um, and another, another way to do this, which has proven massively successful to for me, um, Is, uh, you know, we tie this back to, you know, the the reality in the Hong Kong immigration space. Historically, what has happened is the industrial economy has thrown up an industrial services supply mod, this industrial economy services supply modality that um, anticipates that uh, you're ultimately going to be paying because you're scared of a negative thing happening and there be a scarcity of information. Uh, which means that, you know, the primary emotion in the exchange in immigration is one of fear. That is, you know, I've, I've got this knowledge and know-how. You haven't got it, so it's scarce. Uh, if you don't pay me to access it, then, you know, something bad may happen, that's fear. Mm. So scarcity and fear was the typical paradigm that immigration services were offered in the industrial economy. But in the connection economy, all that's changed. So what we have is we have got generosity and abundance, Um, And we've got uh, not selling fear, but actually trying to provide peace of mind. Mm. Um, So, you know, selfishly, one might say when somebody calls me uh, out of the blue, leaves me a message and says, I've got this particular immigration problem, Uh, I'm kind of looking for help Uh, when they're calling me, they're not sure what they're going to get out of me they have this expectation that well yeah he's an immigration lawyer so they're gonna i'm gonna have to pay this guy something but i'm not quite sure what that's all about but at this stage as long as i've got access to this man that's me and 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 what he knows about you know the problem that i've got that's the most important thing for me so they normally you know people who who contact me out the blue uh, go into that exchange uh, with that sort of mindset um, and then, you know, I return the call and then I have a conversation with them and it becomes very clear to them very quickly that what I'm trying to do is not kind of pick their pocket or, or try and get them into our conference room for, you know, uh, an hour long consultation at three thousand Hong Kong dollars. Actually, what I'm trying to do is, is understand what's going on and then give them from what they're telling me, the basic skeleton advice and then whatever else I'm able to. To give them, you know, given my my state of knowledge of the of the matter at that point, I'm trying to get that into into them asap and sort of settle their mind and let them realise that that there is a solution to the problem, so long as there is one, and that uh, you know me being the author of the solution to the post solution to that problem. One would hope that you know we're generating trust in that uh, in that fashion, um, and uh, not coming across as trying to pick their pockets, but just giving them the information that they need to make informed decisions uh, and uh, allow them to understand what's required to solve their problems. Um, mm. There, you've got a situation where I've turned what what should have been. Well, I'm not really going to talk to you uh, until you know you come in for a consultation. I could I could turn. You know, I could have that conversation in a very nice, polite, professional way, but, you know, in stark terms, um, I could take in those in those instances, I could really just turn that conversation rather than it being a problem um, solving conversation. It could just be a, well, you know. To access my uh, know-how, you're going to have to have a meeting with me and that's going to cost you hard cash, so let's schedule that. Let's have a discussion about that rather than your problem today. Now, how- uh, I don't do that, so I've turned selfishness into generosity.
1: Now, how important is it for the client, with you being the face of the business, that it's you that they engage with? Because there will come a point where you're that busy that you are now unable to leverage your time.
0: Uh, yeah that's that's not a problem because I make it very clear in the earlier conversations that we have a team of twenty seven um whilst while, whilst I consult on all cases. Uh, my colleagues are doing the heavy lifting, so I set expectations from the get go that uh, it won't be me that's actually writing up the case. One of my very capable colleagues will be doing that, and uh, uh, so yeah, that, I don't have a problem scaling in that regard. And then our client engagement paperwork sets out exactly, you know, how that works and, and who there. There's always there's always four people on an immigration application, mm-hmm. um, and uh, we lay out who those who those people are. The three of them are named specifically, and then I say. I'm, I'm responsible for for um application outcome so you know they know that my, i'm associated with it but i'm not doing the day-to-day heavy lifting definitely not that's not a problem for me
1: okay so if if you there as uh the figurehead and obviously the man that knows everything and you begin that cycle of trust do you do that with all clients or only the ones that that reach out to you personally
0: no everybody Everybody gets sacked. That. That's the way we operate. Uh, it's the only way to operate. So, um, yeah, the problem is, I, I know where you're coming from with this question, and, and there's a valid underpinning to it. But the problem is that, you know, you're always going to get some sociopath that comes along uh, and is, 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 is going to earnestly do everything they possibly can to take you, you know, down the garden path as far as they possibly can to eke everything out of you, knowing that they've got absolutely no intentions um, to, to part with any money down the road. Uh, well, that's that. That, that on, the, on the face of it doesn't really worry me. Um, a because I don't want these type of clients. They're a nightmare to deal with. Absolutely, even if I know these guys, the moment that they think that they're going to give you money, or they give you money. They've got they've got their claws in you, and they're never going to let up. So I would much rather not deal with those people anyway. Uh, and secondly, pretty you know, after a certain many amounts of years and having been taken a couple of a couple of sociopaths in the past that have cost me dearly. Um I know I know when I'm dealing with one and it doesn't take too many exchanges for me to be able to sort of bring those 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 early correspondences to a close. Yeah. So I tend not to get uh, taken down the garden path too much. But your, your point is very well made that you know you can get taken to the cleaners if you you don't know what you're looking for and you don't have you know a parachute uh, out of that where you can maintain your integrity and keep your professional discipline together
1: mm. right moving along you've got the next one is Seth's golden uh sorry the 10 rule
0: first 10 rule this is this is basically when you when you when you've got a proposition that you think is market ready then you should take That entire proposition, your entire business model, everything that you're going to do in order to, um, uh, you know, commercialize it, take it to 10 people that you absolutely trust and explain it, you know, top to bottom and then get their feedback about it. Because if you've got, if you take it into 10 people that you trust and you're testing your proposition for trustworthiness, then those trustworthy parties are going to come back and they're going to let you know what's really going on, right? Mm. Um, And if you haven't been able to uh, persuade them that your proposition is a trust-generating machine, so to speak, uh, even though you might be trustworthy – uh, then you know you can do some more thinking about uh, how you can you know address those challenges and uh, and perhaps uh, uh, make some adjustments to your business model that will will address any shortcomings. But in in the final analysis, you'd want to take your proposition to uh, to ten trusted parties. In any event, um, firstly to just to see if there's any commercial merits or bona fides in it? And then secondly, you know, uh, are you able to deliver up such a compelling proposition because of the inherent um, trust you know, to, the, to the proposition that it's not going to fail because you haven't been able to uh, garner the trust of the people that you're expecting to have relationships with that are going to basically transact with you or buy from you?
1: Now, is trust transferable?
0: That's a good question. Right. Um, The whole idea of um, social proof, part of the science of persuasion, um, is in a sense what you're doing is you're you're inferring trust from other parties that have on the face of it sort of dealt with you. You know, social proof is where you um, you ask a client or a customer to write a testimonial or or a quick reference as to what it's been like dealing with you. Um, So in that guys, you've got, you know, social proof in play and social proof um, comes about because, you know, we are massively busy uh, intellectual beings and our attention is here, there and everywhere. Um, And when we need to make decisions, we need to understand that the decisions that we're making uh, are trustworthy, that we're making the right decision. And one of the ways to shortcut, uh, let's say, the due diligence of making a decision um, is to see what others have, who dealt with you know the other party, um, what they thought of the entire situation. So you look for recommendations and references and testimonials, and then that gives you a nice warm feeling all oh, these people are, are you know worthy of dealing, being dealt with. So social proof is a kind of a form of you know transferred trust, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. And then apart from that, of course, this is the you know the age old game in business. Um, if you're a trusted party and you're being introduced to another person and ultimately represented as being a trusted party, then you, you know you, you have an expectation that uh, that trust will prevail. And um, uh, you know, in that regard, you know you've got, let's say, a leg up towards uh, trust, uh, even if it hasn't yet been transferred as such.
1: Mm. Okay. And how about in the sale of a business? So say, for example, yours, if somebody wanted to come along and purchase it, and you are an integral part of it by generating that, that element of trust, the next person who comes along would have to mimic that.
0: Well, it's integral to the business model, right? And uh, I would suggest that anyone who's going to operate in the connection economy put trust at the, you know, the heart of their proposition. So, uh, you wouldn't a buyer wouldn't come into our business, uh, and then and then having understood how successful the business model is, uh, would want to tweak and adjust it to sort of undermine the success by perhaps you know putting a whole policy, policy layer in between immigration consultants and customers. Uh, that would then, you know, clearly break down the implied trust in the nature of the relationship. And, and our documentation when we're in board clients is very simple. It's, it, it's all encompassing, but it's, you know, it's kind of like the, the, the top 10 things in this relationship rather than a 40-page list of uh, clauses and sub-clauses and get-out-of-jail-free clauses and none of that stuff. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've... Um, uh, uh, it, when anyone comes to buy our business, if somebody comes to, to buy a business, it'll be implied that, you know, that we've got trust in the business because that's ultimately led to the value in the business and, sure. and a purchaser wouldn't want to undermine that value. So, uh, and they would do their normal due diligence and, uh, normal due diligence apart from making sure we haven't cooked the books, uh, can be readily attained or achieved, I should say. Uh, just by our uh, searching about us and for us on the web, because our entire um, our, our, our entire history, everything that could ever could ever want to have been said about the Hong Kong Visa Centre and our businesses, published on the web, either by us directly over the years. Or by other parties that have dealt with us, or people that are linked to us, or people who make comments about us, or articles we've been, you know, uh, we've contributed to news articles or what have you. So due diligence exercise on a, on a connection economy business, you know, like ours with intelligent content marketing at its core, uh, will make it a very simple acquisition to complete at the end of the day because due diligence is uh, is not about uncovering any nasties um, because there are no nasties. We've just been very transparent with everything on the web, hmm. and to the extent that there are any any real nasties, nasty nasties. Well, those are just private commercial matters that would have been settled quietly, you know, long before, and never have to come to anybody's attention because, you know, everybody's got skeletons in their closets, right?
1: Sure. And entrepreneurial passion—not the what, but the why.
0: Yeah. So you know, the 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 what what what, what I mean by this is that if you if, if when you're communicating with your customers, if you're explaining to them the reason you do what you, the, the reason why you do what you do, rather than what it is that you actually do, um, people can relate to the whys in the situation, whereas the whats just tend to be features and benefits. So, you know, the, the why of the Hong Kong Visa Centre is that the reason why the Hong Kong Visa Centre exists is because we want to. Liberate the market from a vacuum, from the tyranny of a vacuum of information on the Hong Kong immigration space, to enable people to make informed decisions about a very important life event. That's our why. Well, yeah, right. That's our why. (laughs) So, what's our what? Well, yeah, we help we help solve problems, and we do, uh, and we I guess uh, um, we answer questions, and we sell jobs to be done, and all the rest of that stuff. That's all well and good. Uh, that, those are the features and benefits, but the why is there's a, a, a you know a tyranny of, uh, of a vacuum of information, and we've addressed that because we have the will to do so. Mm. In the process, of course, what we've done is we've disaggregated and reaggregated value, and we sell peace of mind rather than fear, and we work in the abundance environment rather than the scarcity environment. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's you know that's what that's all about.
1: Now, trust is the only thing worth measuring, but how do you measure it?
0: Yeah, well, um, you measure trust by the quality of the relationships that you build in your business over time, one at a time. And I've been telling uh, everyone who wants to listen for years that our tribe literally has been built one relationship at a time. You know, the tribe that's comprised of people who we've never dealt with but have got value out of our websites – well, when we produce a piece of content on our website, it's designed to deliver value to one particular person. The fact that 150,000 individuals can go on subsequently to get value out of that one piece of content, you know, doesn't inform our reason for developing that piece of content in the first place. So, um, you know, the idea there is that... Uh, um, we've got uh, direct, sorry, relationships with, with with people that we uh, don't have uh, actual relationships with, and then we've got relationships with people who have, have, you know, communicated to us and maybe sent us an email, asked us a question, or you know, have gone on to um, uh, actually instruct us. Um, but every step of the way, the relationship. Uh, dynamic has, has been about establishing and building trust all throughout. Um, and you, as Don Tapscott says, every business in the future will ultimately be an internet-based business. If you recognize that the overwhelming majority of what you do is now reflected in the analytics that come through your website, um, telling you kind of, you know, what's happening, you know, what, what your tribe is is um, is is doing with you on your website, uh, you can then, in a sense, you know, begin to understand kind of like what the value of, of each of those um, visitors to your website are and, and and how that can then be, in a sense, measured through uh, a monetary um, metric that can be adopted, which then in turn gives you the opportunity to value ultimately, you know, the uh, the value of each visitor and, uh, and what level of trust has been ascribed to you in that value. So that's a kind of a, a way to sort of m- use mathematics to value trust. But in the final analysis, it's every single relationship, one at a time, um, and how they've been brought on and uh, what that uh, exchange has meant in terms of value delivered and, in, and perceptions imparted. Uh, and have you then gone on to you know, earn their trust? And I think uh, uh, one other way to truly measure uh, trust is the nature of the referrals that you get from satisfied customers. Because clearly, if you delivered a satisfied customer, they recommend you on to somebody else, then it's implied there that uh, that there's trust in play. Mm. So, yeah, um, two ways two ways of measuring, or three ways of measuring, uh, but they're all a bit artificial. But, but in the final analysis, it boils down to trust, and, and 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 trust will form the base, your basis of you know future revenues you're going to earn. So, surely that's got to be the only thing worth measuring. Mm.
1: Fantastic, sir. It is the bottom of the hour. Let's. Uh Leave it at that. You have a very good week, sir. Digital Bacon FM.
0: Join us next time for more on the two types of customers you'll encounter and how to handle both of them as you proceed in your connection economy business model journey.